Thank you, Michaela, for that very meaningful song. Thanks for the praise team, those others had a place in the service today. Yeah, bony fingers. It was a, it was an interesting figure, finger. In fact, it was a, an unforgettable finger. It was not only bony, it was also long. And most important, it was pointed at me and the group of other young people in an Adventist Sabbath school. The finger was connected to an old lady. She must have been 40. But when you're 18, 40 is ancient. Her message as she waved this unforgettable finger at each one of us young people was that you had better lay awake at night And remember every sin you have ever committed. Because if you miss one, you're going to the hot place. Now, I wasn't a Christian. First time I'd ever been in an Adventist church. On leave from the army for a weekend... and got conned into going to the Adventist church by this girl I'd met. I left thinking these people are nuts. The wonder is I ever returned. Well, that's the Adventism. Too much of the Adventism that I was baptized into 60 years ago last month. A focus on judgment. The judgment was serious business and you never knew if you'd confessed that last sin. The premise almost was, I don't think it was ever spoken, but that God is out to get you. And the judgment is his tool. And you never knew when your name would come up and your case would be settled forever. Well, that was not a comforting theology. But it's one I bought into. And eight years later, it's one that drove me out of the ministry and out of the church. Judgment. 
is important. But a misunderstanding of judgment, a misunderstanding of the nature and character of God can be detrimental to peace, and I would suggest sanity. That theology led to insecurity, uncertainty regarding one's standing with God. At the root of traditional Adventism's core problem was a misunderstanding of the judge and of the nature of judgment. Beginning about 40 years ago, a reformation of sorts began to take place in Adventist thinking on both topics. Namely, that the judge is not against us, but from the beginning to the end of the Bible, the judgment, excuse me, the judge is for us. The judge is on our side. And the judgment is not trying, God trying to keep as many people out of heaven as possible, but to get as many people in as possible and still be just, still be righteous. The biblical picture Places like Daniel 8, uh, 7, 22 and many, many other places is the judgment is for the saints. The judgment is on behalf of the saints. Judgment is gospel. I'm going to write a book on that topic. I'll probably die before I get around to it. Judgment is good news. That's the teaching of the New Testament. And I could preach a sermon on that right now, but that's not where I'm supposed to go. Clearing up misunderstandings on those topics allowed us to focus on something really important. Biblical concepts related to grace in new ways and how that affects Christian living. And there we got a whole series of sermons that needs to be preached. And with that transition in mind, Adventism was ready to come to grips with two topics that had been neglected and are, by and large, continue to be neglected. The first of those topics is adoption. The biblical teaching of adoption. And the second one is the biblical teaching on assurance, the assurance of salvation, that we know that we are saved. They are related topics, and an understanding of adoption leads to a better understanding of assurance. First, we'll take a look at adoption, John, the first chapter. For those who are using the Pew Bibles, it's page 1062, Adoption. I have never heard a sermon 
in an Adventist church on the biblical teaching of adoption. We were too busy trying to figure out if we'd captured and remembered that last unconfessed sin before the sheriff got us. Adoption! First, uh, excuse me, John, the first chapter, verse 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is a teaching. Well, there's a general acceptance that all humans are children of God. That's not the Bible teaching. You're born the first time as a human being. You're born a second time as a child of God. Let's read that again. That's powerful stuff. But to all who received him, there's a condition there. All who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. We're not naturally born as children of God. We become through belief and the power of the Spirit, children of God. Who were born, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that takes us to uh, well-known passages in John the third chapter. John the third chapter. Let's just uh, take a couple of verses here. Verse five. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. First birth, we become a human being. Second birth, we become a child of God. Not by our power, but by his. And of course, one is born of the water, a public witness in baptism. And I always like to say the church is too full of water Christians. Not only do we witness and are reborn in the water, the death and the resurrection, death to an old way of life and resurrection to a new, but the spirit it's Jesus' spirit that empowers us, that makes that transformation. I often think of my own conversion experience. I wasn't just a non-Adventist or a non-Christian. I was aggressively agnostic. I was against it. What kind of a miracle? 
I look back and I say, what in the world happened to me? How is it that a person can spend 18 years going one direction and turn around? Only by the power of the Spirit. Jesus couldn't explain it. He just says, like the wind. By the word wind is another word for spirit. You can see where it comes from, and you can see where it's going, but we don't know fully how it works. One last thing here in John the 16th, excuse me, third chapter, verse 16, oh, we know these. For God so loved the world. I mean, he's our friend. <laughs> he loved us, we read in Romans 5, not because we were good, he loved us when he, we were his enemies. Woo. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the, that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness. Judgment is a biblical topic. And it centers on how I relate to Jesus as Savior, Lord, and friend. Now, I'm trying to think of how much time I got. I hate that clock back there. But I really don't care. You can't get up and leave, and I certainly can't. So we're going to go to Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians, the fourth chapter, and let's, that's page 1170 in the Pew Bible, 1170. I just want to go through this one quickly. Galatians 4, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, of, are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into their hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba. It's, it's a, tone of, a term of endearment like, like Daddy. Abba, Father, so that through God you are no longer a slave of Satan and sin, that's my words, but a son of God, and if a son, then an heir. One last text on adoption, and that's Romans the 8th chapter. Romans 8, page 1133 in the Pew Bible. Romans 8. So then, this is verse 12. So then, brother, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children, then heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be also be glorified with him. Ah, one of the Bible's great teachings, that self-centered human being, and be adopted into the family of God. A few things I'd like to say about adoption. Number one, it, adoption is a total break with the old family. And the acceptance of a new family with all of its rights and privileges and responsibilities. In short, if you belong to the family of God, if you've been adopted, you will not live like the devil or his children. Adoption changes every aspect of our daily lives. Second, adoption is a gift of grace. It's not something we deserve, it's something that God sent Jesus to provide for us in spite of ourselves. Thirdly, when Christians are fully adopted into God's family at the present time, but the fullness of the benefits of adoption will not take place until the second advent itself. God takes our adoption seriously. When we accept the benefits of God's grace in Christ's sacrifice, we are truly a part of the family of God. And just as, well, I'll tell you about my kids. I'd like to tell you that I had perfect children. But if they were, they weren't related to me. There were times I was tempted to throw them out of the family. But they're my kids. You love them in spite of themselves. And that's the way it is with God. He doesn't throw us out of the family just because we've had a problem. He knows we're going to have problems. We're part of the family. And if we got a problem, he holds us fast. He doesn't turn on us. God is for us in every possible way. God is not looking for an excuse to disown us. God holds us tight, even when we rebel against him and make massive mistakes, and at times even question his leadership. Read the Psalms someday with both eyes open. There's some real doubters out there. Okay? God forgives us 70 times 7 and then more and holds us tight to himself. 
key word here is that God holds us tight. And that brings us to the doctrine of assurance. Now, I may have been sleeping in church, which I've been known to do, but I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon in an Adventist church on assurance until last week. I was in Ukiah visiting my mother. Some people say, man, you got a mother? I said, well, you think I got a virgin birth? She just lived a long time, that's all. Still going at it. Great sense of humor. Anyway, I heard last week a sermon on assurance. So I went up and told the preacher, I said, man, that's what I'm going to preach on next week. Different approach, naturally. Assurance, in the place of fear and judgment, the biblical teaching on assurance, I should say fear of judgment, the biblical teaching on assurance provides comfort and hope. Hope for God's children, according to Romans 7, are having a rough time on this earth. Suffer from imperfect bodies and imperfect minds and often do things they'd rather not. Back to the Gospel of John, page 1076, John the 10th chapter, John 10. John 10, we'll begin with verse 27. John 10, verse 27. Jesus speaking, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. God knows us. He knows his sheep. Now, you may be flattered to be a sheep of God, but I'm going to tell you something right now. There's nothing stupider on the face of an earth than a sheep. They can't even find their way out of the barnyard. God knows us. He knows his sheep. He knows the good parts about his sheep, and he knows the bad parts about his sheep. And we have three great promises in verse 28. And I will give them eternal life. God gives us, now that's not something for the future, that's for now. But don't confuse it with immortality. you will die the first death. But that's not a death, that's a sleep, that's an intermission. Immortality, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 to 54, comes at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We have eternal life now. We may sleep a bit, but the great teaching of Scripture is we'll be raised at the last day and meet Jesus in the air. We have now eternal life. That's a, that's a truth. Reiterated over and over again in the Gospel of John. 
Secondly, we have life without end. Yes, it has an intermission, but when you have immortality, that means it's impossible to die. That's the gift of God at the second coming of Jesus. And thirdly, no one No one shall snatch them out of my hands. Nobody. Nobody can. This is a promise. We have assurance. I'm going to read those two verses again, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. This is the biblical teaching of assurance. And I want to make one point crystal clear. It is not our feeble hold on Christ that is the foundation of life eternal, but his firm grip on us. It's not your faith. It's not your grip on him. At the best, we're pretty puny creatures. I'm going to say that again. It is not our feeble hold on Christ that is the foundation of eternal life, but his firm grip on us. God's promises do not depend upon me, but on him. They do not depend upon you, but upon him. And that's good news. No one can undo our adoption. No one. Here is the foundation of the Bible's teaching on assurance. The divinely given confidence of believers that they are truly saved in Christ for all eternity. Now we go to chapter 8 of Romans. Chapter 8 of Romans, page 1132. 1132 in your pew Bible, Romans 8. We're actually going to start out in Romans 7. Romans 7 is a pretty miserable chapter. Paul says, man, I'm having trouble. <laughs> We're all having trouble. We know what's right, and we do what's wrong. We know what we ought to do, but we're messed up. Not a very happy chapter. Now, maybe some of you think you're not messed up. That just means you're more messed up than you think you were. Paul cries out. In chapter 7, verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and in my inmost self, but 
I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body, this body of death? Wow. Who will deliver me? And in next verse, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus. Rescues us from ourselves. The explanation goes on in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful, powerful verse. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who have been adopted into the family of God. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, not only lived a perfect life, but died for me on Calvary and set the foundation for grace, adoption, and assurance. And eternity hereafter. Romans 7 is discouraging, but Romans 8 is probably one of the most, well, I'm not going to say probably, it is one of the most important chapters in Scripture. It starts out with no condemnation. We're going to roll fast now, but the time you get to the middle part, we've already been here. It talks about you've been adopted into the family of God. You're not only not condemned, you've been adopted. And it ends in a massive hymn of triumph. Now, I could preach for six weeks on the last nine verses. I'm just going to read them. Just let it soak in. Wow. Verse 31. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who's against us? <laughs> if God's for you, nobody can do anything against you, right? That's the good news. God is for us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him. When we have Jesus, that's the beginning of blessings. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, that is, counts us righteous. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died, yes, and was raised from the dead and now sits on the right hand of God and indeed intercedes for us in heaven? Hey, man, we've got a lot of friends up there. This is powerful stuff. This is the hymn of triumph, the hymn of victory for those who are held 
in God's hand. Ah, we got more. Verse 35. Who separates us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No! There's nothing that can separate God's children from his love, from his care for us for his holding of us. Verse 37. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors, super conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a hymn of triumph and victory. We have assurance in Christ. Please note, our confidence is not in our love for God. Our, let's put it this way, our love for God is frail, fickle, and faltering. Maybe you wake up every day <laughs> with having that sunny attitude that says, God, I trust you all the way. And you don't let it get you down, what's happening that day. I, I wake up kind of, I have good days and bad days. My confidence is not in my love for him. My confidence is in his love for me. Because he not only will he not let me go, but he'll let nothing get between us. However, being a member of God's family and saved in Christ does not mean that nothing bad can happen to you. This is an important qualification. Bad things happen to God's children on this earth. John the Baptist Jesus says, was the greatest human being, and yet his head ended up on a platter. Jesus, Son of God, lived a perfect life and got a cross. But here we have a most precious Bible insight and Bible promise. Verse 28 of chapter 8. Verse 28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Bad things happen, but God uses them for our good. I, I think of, I listened to the story of Wendy today. You know, she lost her place, but she got a better one. <laughs> I think of our own son, Robert. 
paralyzed from the chest down at the age of 39. A devout Christian. You know what? What's that verse say? We know that everything, that in everything, God works for good with those who love him. Robert, when he was here in this church not too long ago, said that what happened helped him realize that his hope was not on this earth. It served to refocus his eyes on him with a renewed dedication. And he has opportunities that he never dreamed of. He didn't like his work, it paid well. But now he has a kind of work because of what happened that allows him to what, do what he's always wanted to do. God has taken something terrible and never think otherwise. Getting paralyzed from the chest down is not a good experience. But God has taken that and blessed him. Oh, spiritually. And in this world. God has taken something bad. And has made something good. Bonnie and I praise God every day. But this promise is true. Nothing can separate us from God's love. But bad things do happen to God's people. But he can take those bad things and make them a blessing. That's the promise of being held in God's hand. In conclusion, I'd like to read verses 37 to 39 again of Romans 8. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, that is, I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise of promises. However, there is one thing that can separate us from God. Not from his love. There is one thing that can separate us from God, and that is ourselves. We can reject Jesus as Savior. Not momentarily, but as a way of life. And we can live the life of the devil. Not fall down, but live a life of unrepentant rebellion against God. Those things are the only things 
that can separate us from God. He still will love you, but he doesn't force you to remain in the family. God wants us not only to join the family, but to walk with Jesus. When we're up and when we're down, nothing external to myself can separate me from God. In closing, I read John 10, 27 and 28 one more time. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. No one. No one. Nothing can snatch them out of his hand. And that's the biblical teaching of assurance for those who've agreed to be adopted into the family of God. May God bless each of you. As you think about your own journey and where you are in it today, where you were yesterday, where you think God wants you to be tomorrow. There's not another more important decision that you can make. And that decision has eternal consequences. God loves you. God's for you. He sent his only, one and only son you and I might have eternal life. May Jesus be with you on this Sabbath day and all through the coming week and for the rest of your lives. And may you decide to be with him. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you hold on to us so tight that nothing can snatch us out of your hands. Help us, Lord, to live the privileges of our adoption. Lord, we look forward to that day when the earth is behind us and we have nothing but eternity ahead. Help us, Lord day and every day to walk with you is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.